Do you hear what I hear? Probably not. I suppose that's to be expected. Each of us is going to hear something different because we're in different places. We each have different perspectives. We each have different thoughts running through our heads that are going to distract us or lead us to focus on different parts of what's going on in the world around us. That's happening right now. Each of us is coming from a different moment in life as God gathers us together. You've probably already heard or will hear something that jumps out at you this morning, whether it be from the readings, the hymns, the liturgy. And from what I've learned talking with people following services, including last night, and from reading worship notes from our confirmands, you will probably hear different points that I say, even if I never said them at all. Now, however, there is an announcement that each of us can hear as God gathers us together as his people, the eternal gospel. In today's first reading from Revelation 14, John saw an angel proclaiming the eternal gospel from the highest point in the sky as the sun shining down at noonday. And that gospel is what brought you and me here today. It's the message of God's victory over the brokenness of our world and the brokenness in each and every one of our hearts. It's the message proclaiming who Jesus is and what he has done. It's the message that tells each and every soul that God would give you what you need, not what you deserve, all out of love for you. It's the message that reshapes the world. But what if the world doesn't want to change? Do you hear what I hear? The world outside the walls of this sanctuary is not really all that different from the world inside. They're each filled with people who are continually tempted to think of themselves as a god, if not in title, at least in practice. That's what sin does to us. You don't have to listen for too long to hear that the world doesn't want God to be God. Our hearts and our minds rebel against a God who is in control, the one who has authority. If God is God, that means you're not. I'm not. If God is God and he calls us to follow him, well, that means that we can't follow our own desires. We're not supposed to be managing our lives in whatever way we think best. Putting it plainly, the world will only tolerate an inoffensive Jesus, one who conforms to our human expectations. The world and the sin that is in each and every human heart prefers a private Jesus, one who doesn't meddle in your affairs. And that's how it was when Jesus first spoke those words that we heard in Matthew 11. Jesus doesn't conform to the world's expectations. 
When the religious leaders of his day expected to hear favorable news from a prophet at the temple in Jerusalem or in a palace, John the Baptist came and he called the people to repent out in the wilderness. When the religious leaders of the day expected to see a savior who was the epitome of their own outward righteousness, Jesus repeatedly spent time with people that they deemed unworthy and unrighteous. And what's more, Jesus calls them and us to follow him, not privately, but publicly with a life that conforms not to the world's expectations, but to God's expectations. Let the one who has ears hear. Jesus calls you to follow him with your whole life. Now, if that depended on your own efforts or my own efforts, we'd be hopeless. Half a millennia ago, Martin Luther had been gripped by the hopelessness of his own situation and standing before a righteous God and an uncompromising Savior. But as he studied God's word in the scriptures and wrestled with his understanding of what his church had taught, Luther came to see that the Bible shows us God's love for his creation. God's righteousness is what sent his uncompromising son into the world, not to inoffensively conform to expect its expectations, but to live the life that our Creator demands of us. And He did it for us, for you. Jesus' work, not yours, makes you right with God. And that makes all the difference. Luther's explanation of the second article of the Creed, the part of our public confession of the faith that speaks to the person and work of God the Son, who Jesus is, what he has done for our world, it sums it up really, really well. So hear what it says in such a brief way about the central part of that eternal gospel of God the Son's work for you. So this morning, I invite you to hear it as you speak it out. So I'll read it phrase by phrase, and I invite you to follow along with me. What does this mean? You can do better than that. Yeah, yeah, thanks, choir. What does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from sin, death, and the power of the devil. Not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood. And with his innocent suffering and death. 
that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. Amen. 499 years ago, that was the case. And today, our hope, our faith, is still all about Jesus. God has graciously done everything so that you may be his own. Next year marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation of Martin Luther's posting of those 95 theses on the castle church door, the start of the Reformation. And over the course of the next year, we're going to be lifting up various milestones in Luther's life and the work of the Reformers in preparation for that celebration. But we Lutheran Christians do not celebrate the Reformation because Martin Luther alone got it right, but because of the good news that we have been saved by grace through faith alone, as the scripture teaches, through Christ alone. The eternal gospel of God's victory over the brokenness of the world for you because of Jesus. Now Jesus calls us to follow him through this present world and into the world to come. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. Although I did recently read a satirical headline that reported second coming of Christ scheduled for game seven of Cubs Indians World Series. <laughs> but as we await that day, we still live in a world that will only tolerate an inoffensive Jesus if that. But that's not Jesus. He doesn't conform to the world's expectations. So as you live as Jesus' disciple, practicing that whole life stewardship that strives to be conformed to God's instruction and his design, that's gonna cause some issues. Despite what the world would have you believe, your faith isn't simply a private matter that you keep secret and hidden away. It shapes your public life too. Hearing. Following Jesus' call to godly nonconformity is going to have an impact on your life. It will direct your relationships. It will guide your work in directions that seem odd to the world around you. But the Lord who has called you, who has given you faith, which moves you to living in his word, is not going to leave you to go it alone. Psalm 46 proclaims, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Or as Martin Luther put it in lyric verse, 
a mighty fortress is our God. The eternal gospel of Jesus' victory reshapes us and it reshapes our world. We hear God's word for our own sake, but also for the sake of the world around us. Because listening, hearing, we live to share. Whole life stewardship, managing all of those gifts that God has entrusted to our care doesn't look like what the world would expect. But we do it, privately and publicly, because Christ did it first. And he did it for us. By God's grace, we have been saved through faith. And we get to carry the reality of life with God through Jesus as we join him in his mission in the world. Do you hear what I hear? Amen. <laughs>